Welcome, Welcome to the, the Rosie, Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. Your weekend wake-up tradition for the last 30 years. It's Rosie on the House. Welcome, Arizona homeowners. Good morning to the Arizona People, Places, and Events Hour of Rosie on the House. And you know, this is the time of year we all proclaim our allegiance to the great state of Arizona. Everybody's returning for the winter. We that have been here all year long are rejoicing in the hot weather being over with, and the fall is here. That time of year, we encourage every one of you, get out of the couch, get off the seat, get out of your lazy chair, get in the car, get out and explore the great state of Arizona. So in our effort to encourage you to get out of the house and see the great state of Arizona. We've brought Miss Krista Sadler in. She's park ranger for the National Park Service at Tonto National Monument. Now look, folks, you may not know of this national monument. It's located just uphill from the beautiful shores of Lake Roosevelt. You can get there by leaving Phoenix and heading up through Fountain Hills and taking the turn at Pumpkin Center and come in down from the north. You can go out Highway 60, Apache Junction, run up Fish Creek Trail, the Apache Trail, dump out on top of the on the Roosevelt Dam, or you can go up through Superior Globe and head on down. That's 88, I believe, that takes you down out of Globe right in to Roosevelt, Tonto National Monument. Krista, thanks for making the drive all the way into the studio this morning and sharing with us your experience at the Tonto National Monument. I think it is a greatly overlooked jewel in the National Monument system here in Arizona. Absolutely. Thank you for having me this morning, Rosie. Oh, so tell me about your uh, tenure at the at the at this particular monument. Sure. I've been at Tonto National Monument for about three years now, and it's like you said, a hidden gem in Arizona that we have right in our own backyard here. Now, tell me, are you a, are you an Arizona girl? Uh, I'm born uh, born and raised in California. And did we my... won't hold that against you. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a lot of you here now. Yeah, yeah. So born and raised in the the Bay Area near San Francisco. Okay. And then I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Hawaii on the Big Island. Okay. I'll let you hold that one against me. Okay. Um, that one's okay. That's all right. Okay. I won't hold Hawaii against yeah. you at all. It's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, worked some summers at Grand Canyon National Park as a oh. park ranger. Uh, fell in love with Arizona, and I've been in state for about four years now. Okay, so that's been three years at Tonto mm-hmm. National Monument. So I've just kind of directed people how to get there. You can mm-hmm. get there a lot of different directions. What are they going to find when they get there? What are they going to behold? Gotcha. Uh, so Tonto National Monument was established to protect two 700-year-old Salado cliff dwellings. Uh, they're original structures with very minimal reconstruction done, mostly stabilization, and we're a pretty unique site in that we're the only National Park Service site to actively interpret the Salado culture, and you can also walk around inside of the cliff dwellings, which is pretty unique. Give us a little bit of the Salado culture interpretation. Who, sure. who are we talking about? Sure, sure. I'll give you a little bit of the history, although nothing is known for sure. It's just archaeological assumptions through research and uh, artifacts that have been found in the area. 
Um, people have been utilizing the resources in the Tonto Basin for over 10,000 years. Um, so we have some archaeological evidence dating back to the Archaic period in the region. And then uh, everyone in the Phoenix Valley is aware of the Hohokam culture. Um, around 700 or 800 um, CE or AD, um, the Hohokam started to begin moving north out of the Phoenix Valley, bringing with them their irrigation skills and knowledge of crops. And the same thing was happening around the southwest at that time with the Mugion people that started moving into the basin off of the rim and also the ancestral Puebloan people, or the Anasazi as they're also known, um, began coming into that Tano Basin area around 1250. Um, and from there, we see this mixing of those cultures and then a culture forming all of its own. And we define that cultural phenomenon, this blending, melting pot of cultures that happened uh, in the Tonto Basin area as the Salado culture. And we, we find Tonto National Monument at what at that time was very close to the juncture of two major ri river systems. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's at the, the confluence of the Salt River and Tonto Creek is in that, that area as well course we dammed that and turned mm -hmm. it into roosevelt lake yeah. but there was actually a quite a civilization right there at the juncture of the two river systems yes yeah that, that got dis got buried by the lake yes but, <laughs> but this didn't this Correct. is high enough it survived and we're kind of on the southwest hills above lake roosevelt yeah the the two cliff dwellings were built um, between so we think the Salado lived there between 1300 and 1450. So that's the time period we're looking at for our structures. And both of our structures that have survived are built in two natural caves that are facing south-southeast. Uh, and they're high above. Those caves provide natural protection um, from elements um, and also people. They're a little bit higher up, a little bit more difficult to get to. Um, so we have two still-standing structures because of those natural caves. All right, and Krista, when you're talking about structures existing in these two cliff-dwelling areas, we're not talking about six- and eight-inch-high walls that you just barely have to kind of use your imagination to see what was there. No, they're, um, of course, not completely intact. They've had several hundred years of deterioration and vandalism that have caused them to crumble a little bit. Um, but we have our lower cliff dwelling, which is about... 15 to 20 rooms, and it's two stories. Uh, and then we have our upper cliff dwelling, which is about 40 rooms, some two stories still as well, intact. Okay, so we pull up to the parking area, and we have the visitor center. Mm -hmm. Okay, and in the visitor center, you have some great displays kind of explaining the whole history of the area. But you walk out, and you go into the lower cliff dwellings. Yeah, so when you arrive at our visitor center, um, if you walk inside, you'll be greeted by very friendly rangers like myself. Uh, we have an awesome museum that showcases artifacts that were found inside of our cliff dwellings. We have a replica room, so those that aren't up to the hike up to the lower cliff dwelling can get an experience of what it would be like to be inside the cliff dwelling. And then we have a 20-minute film and a viewing deck on the roof of our visitor center, and then you start your trek. It's a half-mile paved trail, one way to the lower cliff dwelling. Um, pretty steep, about a 13% grade hang up, heading up there. So as long as you're prepared and bring lots of you know, sturdy shoes, water, sun protection, all that good stuff, you can make it to the top and actually explore inside that 700-year-old structure. This is the perfect time of year to take that short little hike. 
yeah, um, now that the temperatures are starting to cool off a little bit, um, water, of course, is still always important, um, but it's wonderful. The temperatures are great. Birds are out singing, and it's a great way to get out, explore Arizona history, and spend some time outdoors with your family. I don't think parents should hesitate one second for bringing their kids. Absolutely not. This um, is not. This is not a monster hike. Uh, it's not a monster hike, and from our experiences at the monument, the kids tend to run up while the parents watch. So <laughs> That's called getting the kids tired so yes, they can have a nap yes. later. Yeah. <laughs> so we do the the lower dwelling, and that generally your visitors are taking how much time to see that? Yeah, I'd say um, it's about an hour round trip, you know, 15 to 20 minutes up, 20 minutes or however long you want to sit and experience the lower cliff dwelling, and then about 15 minutes back down. That puts you back at the visitor center. Now, the the real hidden jewel mm-hmm. is the upper dwelling. Yes, absolutely. Talk about that. Yes. Um, our upper cliff dwelling, that 40-room structure, uh, we only do guided tours. So you have to be on a guided tour to access that structure. Um, we take reservations in advance, November through April. And these are small groups. Yes, yes. 15 people is the maximum we take up there. So you get a nice, intimate group, and we keep it low. That way we don't. Um, cause as much of an impact on the site. You know, if we let hundreds of people go up there every single day, we would be able to physically see an impact on this site. See, it's a 40-room structure? Yes, once upon a time. Of oh. course, you don't see 40 rooms today, but Are you're all seeing... the rooms relatively the same size or...? Um, no, some are bigger and some are smaller, um, mm-hmm. and that just has to do with the construction sequence with what happened there. Um, and then to, to get on one of these tours, um, you have to make a reservation in advance. Um, we have the tours Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday at 10 a.m. and 15 people max. You got to call ahead. Um, and it takes about three to four hours round trip, and it's a three-mile round trip hike. And is there an extra charge to that? No, it's the same entrance fee. Um, so it's uh, $7 per adult right now uh, unless you have a national park america the beautiful pass so if you're familiar with the senior pass or the golden age golden eagle pass that applies as well how many kids would you let go in one trip i mean a family of five or six kids no dilemma um, we typically recommend children eight years and older, okay. but of course, every child is different, so it's up to the the parents' judgment if they want to have them take that adventure as a family. Um, we max out the reservation per person at six, so if you have more than six, you just have to have another person give us a call, and we'll write their name down as well. And this is with a ranger. You're not just, once you get there, you're not just going to get the story of the history of the structure itself, but along the way. Yeah, that's that's 100% right, Rosie. You're going to have stops um, and visits and sessions on on the terrain, yeah. the geology, the yes. flora, the fauna, the wildlife. Yeah, you name it. Um, each ranger has their own separate talk. So if you end up coming twice, you probably won't get the same spiel every single time. And along the way, we're stopping and telling you about the history of the people, the places, the animals that you see. Um, again, each ranger has their own different specialty, so we all take a hike and have something different to say every time. Folks, this is we we have run a couple series on Arizona Outdoors 101, Camping 101. 
this either one of these hikes, if you're a city dweller and you're wanting to stretch your Arizona experience, these are absolutely the perfect opportunity for you to get out, try your shoes, try your boots, try the canteen belt, make sure it all fits. These are great hikes at Tonto National Monument. All right, we've thrown the Arizona doors wide open here this morning at Rosie on the House. And in particular, we've thrown the doors open at Tonto National Monument. It's located in the Tonto Basin of the great state of Arizona. It's absolutely one of my most favorite, beautiful little areas of the entire state, just above Lake Roosevelt. Uh, southwest of the lake, just above the hills, it's a beautiful area. You're on the backside of Four Peaks. You're looking at the Sierra Ancha Range. It's Tonto National Monument. And to speak to us about what's going on there and what you can see and experience there, we have Miss Krista Sadler. Thank you again for joining us here this morning. Thanks for having me, Rosie. Okay, we've talked a little bit about the experience to try and paint a picture of what people will see. Let's talk a little bit about the construction these structures could be dated as much as 900 or a thousand years at the start of the inhabitation of that area correct the the basin itself we think has been inhabited for a really long time and our archaeologists think that these structures were built around 1300 okay. the approximate date so about 700 years old for the cliff dwellings all right and let's talk this is a home building show this is a home improvement mm -hmm. show how were they building these homes they, <laughs> the first thing they did was choose some incredible sites. Yeah, yeah. Um, they built their homes in a very smart way. You know, I always say if you threw me out in the Sonoran Desert and said, okay, Krista, build a house, I would not build anything like these cliff dwellings. So they definitely knew what they were doing. Um, they chose these two natural caves that provided them shelter from the elements, and that was their first really smart move. And the, the these aren't like shaft caves like you might envision a mine shaft. These are just big amphitheater-type cave hollows that they've moved back to the far recesses of the arch and started a room or two. And that's their roof. That's their back wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, most of the work was already done for them, uh, nice and simple. That's the way I like to do my home improvement projects, nice and easy. So, um, yeah, they had these natural caves, and they used the resources that were immediately around them right in their own backyard. Um you have this really great combination of cultures, like we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, people coming from all around the Southwest, bringing their own ideas together, and then them kind of melting together. Um, and we can really see that in the structures at our cliff dwellings. Um, we have two different construction styles, both masonry or rock stacking and adobe as well. So they took rocks um, that are kind of naturally shaped like bricks, um, stacked them really neat, and then used mud as kind of a plaster on the outside to strengthen those walls. Um, and then we also see them using um, lumber from the area as well. Uh, most people probably don't know about Tonto National Monument that we have a natural spring on site. And that spring was a main source of water for the Salado that were living in the area. And we also use that water in the park today. And because of that natural spring, we have a lot of vegetation that likes to grow in that watered area. So we have sycamore and walnut trees there that they used for construction of their cliff dwelling. And uh, number one product used in the construction of roofs in particular in our structure uh, is the ribs of the saguaro cactus. 
So um, if you look outside um, as you're driving down the freeway and you see that big saguaro cactus, um, it might look kind of flimsy, but if you took the inside of that cactus and tried to break it like you would an oak branch, you wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, it's really strong and you know something that they found right in their own backyard that they used to build their home. Krista, as a carpenter, uh, you know, I see a log on the ground that I want to turn into a roof rafter. Uh, I just measure it. I take out my saw, chainsaw, boom, cut, put it in place. How are these people finding the logs, harvesting them, moving to site, and then getting them to length? Again, trial and error, of course. <laughs> and uh, stone tools were number one. Um, we have Lots of different tools at our disposal. Um, you can actually see some of those in the museum at our visitor center, including axes, um, kind of like carving tools, um, and then, of course, other stone tools for various housing and other projects as well, like cooking. And are they mixing the mortar and applying it either with the stone or with the adobe manufactured brick that they've made? Are they applying that all by hand? They, they are applying it by hand. And actually, as you walk around the structure, you can see the original fingerprints of those salado that were applying that adobe. Can you imagine how abrasive their skin had to be to manage the construction of that, rubbing it all by hand, that granular mortar, sand, and adobe? Yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, and it's really neat to stand there in front of this huge cliff-dwelling wall and see fingerprints all over it and imagine... 700 years ago, someone stood here and built their home, and now I'm standing here admiring it. And it's still there. It's still there. 700 years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Incredible, incredible. Uh, construction. Now, how were they forming the adobe brick that they were making? Um, it wasn't adobe brick. It was just natural rock okay. that they would find. Stacking the rock similar to you like you would normal okay. red bricks, and then covering that with mud to reinforce it. So they weren't making bricks. Um, they were rather making adobe or mud to plaster on the outside of it. Now, you mentioned there were two types of construction. Mm -hmm. One of the stacked rock. What was the other? The mud plastering on the outside oh, okay. is really right. distinguished. Yeah. Okay. So you run that up to the height that you want. You harvest these timbers mm -hmm. and set the timbers four foot on center, six foot on center, whatever you are. And then it's the saguaro ribs stacked perpendicular to that. Mm -hmm. And then what goes on top of that? Uh, more adobe uh, that goes on the exterior of the wall would be put down as kind of like a carpet on top of the, the saguaro and other timber products. Um, yeah, it's uh, really interesting to see, and you can actually still see some of that adobe floor inside some of the rooms of the cliff dwelling. We're talking Tonto National Monument. Y'all have to get there to see it. And welcome back to our conversation here this morning on Tonto National Monument, located in the Tonto Basin of Arizona. I mentioned earlier how many different ways you can get there. You can run up Beeline Highway and take the exit at Pumpkin Center. There's several places you can stop along the way there. Grab a bite to eat at Boston's Lake House Grill. You can stop at the Butcher Hook Steakhouse, and they have a pretty good hamburger right there. You can come up Fish Creek Hill and Apache Trail and stop at Tortilla Flat, or you can come in through Superior, stop and grab a bite to eat at Los Hermon Hermanos? 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 Los Hermanos. Hermanos. Thank you. For Romero, you'd think I ought to be 
able to say that. You would right? think you so. You would yeah. think so. But you you're a Cajun so. Romero. Yeah, but so, you're a Cajun yeah. Romero. Uh, get on in the Globe and take the exit down to Roosevelt. You've got Guayos right there, which has been there forever. I've probably been in there a thousand times. So you don't have to show up hungry. But bring a little trail snack because there are definitely trails to take while you're there. Tonto National Monument, we're here visiting with Krista Sadler, the park ranger, one of the park rangers at at the National Park Service, specifically at Tonto National Monument. So I've, I've shown up. I'm all full. I'm ready to eat. I've got lots of energy. We've talked about the trails. We've talked about the construction techniques. How about any particular events y'all got going on? Y'all, the, the Park Service has got great about events, star watching, educational series. What have y'all got going on up there? Yeah, we do a lot. Um, we have some special programming, uh, especially our education program is really rocking it. Uh, we had over 1,200 students come and visit us on a field trip last year, and every fourth grader in Gila County came to see us last awesome. year as well. So, um, yeah, we have a great education technician who works really hard to bring kids in Gila County and Maricopa County, Pinal County as well, um, all to come see us and learn about their history right in their own backyard. And something that I've been working on um, with Tonto National Monument is becoming an international dark sky park. And with that, um, we have a Park After Dark series coming up. It'll be the second year in a row that we're um, doing a pretty consistent program. Um, Every night we'll be talking about something different, whether it be the space frontier, um, meteors, uh, black holes and beyond. And we're partnering with the Phoenix Astronomical Society. So we'll have some great telescope viewing for everybody to come check out. Way off in the distance. I just heard Dr. Sky screaming. (laughs) That's right. So dark sky uh, certification is in process. Yes. Yeah. We've been working really hard to try and make that happen. So we'll keep you posted. 20 miles. Miles north of Globe? Uh, about 27 or so, closer to 30. 40 south of Payson? Uh, about 50, yeah. <laughs> and 70 east of Phoenix? That's a good solid number right there. Okay. <laughs> so so you're a good, and, and the lights of Roosevelt, you wouldn't call particularly distracted to the night sky. <laughs> no, no. Um, we actually just did some night sky measurements, and we're looking pretty dark out at Tonto. We also had the Phoenix Astronomical Society measure us as a Bortle II scale, um, which in astronomy speak is pretty dark so (laughs) all right and upcoming events where would they need to go to find that yeah all of our events are posted on our website that's www.nps.gov slash taunt t-o-n-t and we also have a facebook page at tonto nps there is so much history in the entire tonto natural basin i mean it is full of history dating back to even prior to this civilization. It was a mingling of civilizations that created the Salado. Yes. And that was a combination of Mogollon, Mm -hmm. Hohokam, Mm -hmm. and... Ancestral Puebloan. And just down the street from here, you could actually go and see the ruins of an old cavalry fort. At Fort Reno. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it, it can't be five or six miles down the road, yeah. can it? Yeah, it's pretty close by. Um, so Tonto National Monument also has a pioneer history as well. Okay. Um, with the, you know, newfound sources of water with the Salt River, uh, we had a lot of more, a lot more people coming to visit um, 
Phoenix in the Valley area here and starting to make residences. And that also happened in the Tonneau Basin area as well. Um, and then uh, kind of a, a fun fact that most people don't know, it was a, a woman who was credited with the first written record of our cliff dwellings in 1880. Uh, she was named Angeline Mitchell, and she was hired as the first school teacher in Tonto Basin. And she had all of the children in her class, all the homestead children, uh, go on a field trip to the cliff dwellings, and she journaled about the whole thing. So we get a firsthand experience about what she saw um, what her children were seeing and she's really ahead of her time and writes about how she's sitting there with her her class wondering you know the people that built this structure are so different but yet they're all the same you know people died here they laughed here cried here and our lives are so different but yet we're all fundamentally the same would they go down to the river was there much of an agricultural society where they had water there were they irrigating? Were they cultivating? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Uh, most people are familiar with the irrigation system that's still existing here in the Phoenix area, and the Hohokam brought that with them to the Tonto Basin, and the Salado utilized that as well. Um, they had three main crops that they grew, both uh, corn, beans, and squash. So the three sisters, those are known as. Uh, and then they would also grow other things like amaranth and cotton was a big product for them as well. Amaranth. What is that? Uh, amaranth is a type of grain, uh, and you can also eat the leaves as well. And not to mention the game. Yeah, yeah. A Tonto Basin is rich in game. Mm -hmm. You're talking deer, you're talking javelina, you're talking dove, you're talking rabbit, you're talking quail. Yeah, yeah. Deer and rabbit were uh, the two primary that we find evidence of. I can imagine. And I don't, do you have any idea, have you ever seen an estimation on the population of this area of the state 700 years ago? Because I've walked the area extensively. There are literally hundreds of sites between you, Tonto National Monument, San Carlos White Mountain Indian Apache Reservation, and the town of Young. Mm -hmm. That entire area is full of sites. Yeah, um, around the Salado time period, we think that there were thousands of people living in the area. Um, in our structures alone, we think about 60 people lived in the 15-room lower cliff dwelling and about 100 people in the 40-room upper cliff dwelling. And there's irrigation, cultivated fields in both locations? Um, they would share resources down by the river, but they also practiced dry terrace farming and then hunting and gathering as well. So they were surrounded by a prehistoric supermarket, if you will. And, and they're not right on the river. They chose the arched cliff-dwelling environment, but that still meant a little bit of a hike every day down to the river. Yeah, definitely a hike. Um, and then they would also build temporary farmhouses so they could stay overnight and tend to their crops and then return to the cliff-dwelling. How far were they from the original river site? That's got to be got to be four or five miles, doesn't it? Yeah, we actually had a ranger walk it once upon a time, and it's about five miles we estimate from the cliff dwelling to the where the river would be. So you're surrounded by a grocery store. You just had to walk to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we hadn't even put a, a a harness on a horse yet. Not yet. Okay. Yeah, no horses. Uh, all all by foot. <laughs> and I mentioned Fort Reno earlier. If people wanted to find that, I only have to tell you this. There are no services, there are no visitor center, there is no water fountain, there is no bathroom, there is nothing there. So if you're going to make a side stop there, be prepared. It is remote, 
Uh, it is easy to find. It does take a high clearance vehicle to get there, but it's worth one of the side stops in the area. Now, have you ever been up across the lake over Greenback Ridge? I have not. Okay, and are you familiar with how Greenback Ridge got its name? I don't know. Will you tell me, Rosie? Greenback Ridge got its name from the uh, infantry that had moved into the area to kind of bring the raiding Apaches who had been coming in off the White Mountain Apache tribal land and raiding settlers in the area, and they robbed a stagecoach. They had no idea what money was. And so the way the infantry found the guilty Native Americans who robbed it is they just followed the trail of money that they just kept throwing out of the saddlebags, not knowing what it was. That's how Greenback Ridge got its name for the trail of greenbacks that the infantry followed to find the Native Americans who had robbed the stagecoach back in Globe. Is that where the term <laughs> Greenback came from? I don't is my know. question, because that, <laughs> that sounds original to me. I, I think Greenbacks were just kind of uh, come, coming out of the Civil War. It was verifying that it had to be green to be worth anything. Okay. So as yeah. opposed to some of the Confederate money that was blue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Confederate. <laughs> okay. So there's your history lesson on on a little bit about Tonto Basin. Settled very early by uh, white settlers dating back to the mid-1800s. Lots of great ranches. Families have been in there for seven, eight, nine generations. Just Have you, have you had occasion to meet any of the old-time pioneers? Um, I, I haven't had the pleasure yet, but I know we've had uh, some interviews with uh, people that have lived in the area. It's absolutely a fabulous area. It, it's no wonder the Native Americans decided to move there. If I had a choice of moving to live on the Gila River <laughs> <laughs> or to move uphill a little bit and be in Tonto Basin, I'd be in Tonto Basin all day long. <laughs> So we've talked events, we've talked about construction techniques, we've talked about the hikes, we've uh, talked about what people can experience when they see. What have we left out that you would want people to know about your personal national monument? It's yours. Yeah, um, it's a really special place. Again, National Park Service um, has been working really hard to protect these structures for the enjoyment of you know, both this generation and future ones as well. So our goal is everyone that comes to visit, you know, can bring their grandkids back someday and still look at the same structure in its current condition. How old is Tonto National Monument? Excellent question. Um, Tonto National Monument was declared a national monument in December 1907 by okay. President Theodore Roosevelt and then was transferred over from Forest Service to the National Park Service in 1934. Um, so the monument will be celebrating its 111th birthday come December. Awesome. Now, Krista, I can't thank you enough for coming, but I have to say, you're hard to get a hold of. <laughs> what has you so busy? If I were a park ranger, I'd just be sitting in my recliner. I'd be welcoming visitors. I'd be taking strolls. You were like traveling all over. I, I am. What yeah. do you do? Yeah. Um, so... Um, a collateral duty that I've taken on this year is becoming a public information officer for the National Park Service uh, to go help on wildland fires around the country. Um, so this summer I had the awesome experience of going out to wildfires in Oregon, Idaho, and Washington. Uh, and as a public information officer, it's my job to get the information out to the public. 
Oh, wow. Right on the front lines, based in the camp. You're right there with all the firefighters. and uh, We do some media escorts so they can get that front line view. Um, but a lot of it's really doing um, social media, going out in the community, handing out flyers, uh, running community meetings, and really any different aspect of how people can get their information, uh, whether it be phone, internet, or in person, that's what we do. We sure dodged a bullet this year, didn't we? In this state, yes, Boy, we did. in yeah. the winter, we just thought, oh, no, this could be horrible. And for, we were very fortunate to have a great monsoon season. Krista Sadler, park ranger for National Park Service up at Tonto National Monument. Go ahead, invite everybody up. Come and see us up at Tonto National Monument. We'd love to have you. And if you want to step back in history, come to our cliff dwellings in Roosevelt, Arizona. This is a Rosie certified family adventure. Here we are the very first Saturday. And you know what we do the first Saturday of every month is we have Jan Diotrian and we have Arizona Farm Bureau in and we talk about the amazing food, all the fresh food we have in Arizona, talking about pork. We are talking about pork. And you know, Jen, I never thought that you and I would be sitting in a room pouring through statistics on state rankings by hogs and pig inventory. <laughs> but well, here we are. We're not the, we're winners. We're not the top five. We're not the <laughs> top ten. But you know what? It's such a growing industry, and there are so many cool shops. I was telling you about one of my favorite shops in Queen Creek. It's called the Pork Shop, and I think it's three-generation family farm now. But people from all over the state drive out there. It's right. It's about a mile away from Queen Creek Olive Mill, and you can buy andouille, and you can buy Italian sausage, chorizo, and bacon, and they 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 have uh, green chili, pork chili. It's amazing. But you know what? I'm talking about dinner for you tonight. People love casseroles, mm -hmm. and they love pork, but a lot of folks are stumped. You know, what do I do with a pork chop? You fry it up. This <laughs> is amazing, and this is kind of a make-ahead casserole. I went out, and I bought some pork chops. Big lesson here. I bought boneless center-cut pork loin chops which is more expensive. They're more expensive than than the, the pork chops on the bone. Okay. But I like the bone better. Anything with bone in is going to give you better flavor, flavor especially right? for your yeah. casserole. So I say go ahead and get pork chops with the bone. Okay. Flour them lightly. Okay. Get them in a skillet. Cast iron skillet would be awesome. And so I did a tablespoon of oil, a tablespoon of butter. I got the pork chops fried nice and brown, and then I took them out of the skillet, set them aside. Then you're going to throw in a chopped sweet yellow onion, about three or four cloves of minced garlic, and some mushrooms. Cook those up, add a little bit more oil and butter, and then you're going to put the chops in a casserole dish, mm -hmm. pour those mushrooms over the top, and in that skillet that has all the drippings, you put a little marsala and mix it all. You're going to deglaze it. Pour it over your casserole in the oven for 15 minutes and done. And you tasted it. Oh, it is melting your mouth good. We had good. dinner for breakfast this morning, right? <laughs> That's it's right. tasty. Oh, it's good for any time. And so this is the other white meat. The other white meat. It's all about our Arizona farmers. I love you guys. I do. If you want the recipe, you can find it on our blog at rosieonthehouse.com. And also we'll post it on Facebook for you. Thanks, Jan, for coming in. Absolutely. At Rosie on the House, we want you to get out and enjoy the great state of Arizona. That's why we bring you the Arizona Staycations. Pick up your car at Sanderson Ford. We'll set you up and your accommodations. Plus, Sibley's West Arizona Gift Shop, 
Soretta's Candy, Coyote Odie Cookies, Sphinx Date Ranch, Cactus Candy, and Arizona Highways always provide some swag for your trip. Win your Arizona staycation. Register now only at rosyonthehouse.com. Great places for you to go see in the great state of Arizona. I have here in my hands right now a list of 100 sites just in the state of Arizona that are open to the public for you, your kids, your spouse, your friends to go out and go see the northeast corner of the state. Gosh, man, it's just so pretty. And people drive right through it on the way to Telluride or or Durango or Denver or, or Taos. But it's a beautiful part of the state. We talked about staying at La Posada and having dinner at the turquoise room you'll it's a meal you'll never forget and from there you get up to Homal how did they pronounce it Homalavi State Park and that's a great state park out on the open plains where there are actually dwellings of hundreds and hundreds of people and inhabitants and they were divided and they ended up splitting up and going up to first and second and third mesa where there's still Oribe is the oldest continually inhabited human site in North America, and it's right here in Arizona. Now, it's your turn to take yourself to any other corner of the state, and you do that by getting to our website, rosyonthehouse.com. On the front page, it's right there. We make it as easy as humanly possible. Click on Arizona Staycation. It's sponsored by the great people at Sanderson Ford. You register to win the staycation. Once a month, we pick a name, and then we empty all the names. So you can register to win every single month until you win, okay? We encourage you to do that. Register to win, and if we draw your name, you get to go to Sanderson Ford. Now, they've got 64 acres of Ford vehicles new and used over there. And in one corner of a lot, they've got what they've called their dim, dim, demonstration stable, where they've got a current lot of cars where you can go pick. These are cars that if, if, if one of their customers are thinking about buying or trading in, they keep certain models available there to get them out on the road and let people try them. Jennifer, my wife, gives you a gift card that will more than cover all the gas. Sanderson Ford's going to give you the car full of gas. She puts gift baskets in there from Soretta Candy or Coyote Ode Cookies, or Arizona Highways. Uh, any one of a number of our other partners, Sphinx Date Ranch also. You'll have the gift box, you'll have the car, you'll have the gift card. Now that's only available one place, and that's at rosyonthehouse.com. And we call it the Sanderson Ford Arizona Staycation. And it's all for you, the Arizona homeowner, who we come here every Saturday morning to do one thing, that we want to be every Arizona homeowner's best friend. <laughs>